You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. Wednesday night after service, Tina and DK, DK and Tina, however you want they like bombarded me with a birthday gift 14 days before my birthday. A very generous, very well thought out gift. And I was honestly shocked, shocked. Yesterday I woke up to hot breakfast and I was going to a powerlifting meet and I was on a, ton, a, cry, a time crunch, right? I woke up to breakfast, all the snow taken off of my car in a heated up warm car. Sarah did that. I'm gonna keep going for a minute. I come in today and DK looks at my PowerPoint and needs a little help. <laughs> he grabbed my computer and he helped me. Naturally. Emilio and Maciel, you, you see them coming holding bags. Those are groceries that people are going to get fed with. Every one of those things is an expression of a prosperous soul. When your soul is prosperous, you naturally serve, you naturally give, you naturally support, you naturally encourage because there's abundance. When someone is bankrupt on the inside, you hear it in their words, you hear it in their habits, you hear it in their choices, you see it in their relationships, you see it the most in their closest relationships. But when someone is overflowing, they naturally serve and bless people. And people want to be around people like that. Like, there's some people that you can vacation from, and then there's other people you can vacation with. And if you're a person who overflows, people want to be around you. This is what makes our witness attractive without compromise. The Bible says that they will see our love for one another and they will know that we are Jesus' disciples. So there is a witness in how we treat each other. We, we don't treat each other like the world treats each other. We don't play or hate, we celebrate. It's a different vibe. In, in this church, it's totally different than in many places. People don't realize it, but I, I'm, I'm standing and taking, you know, I'm preaching and Brett sends me a picture and he highlights my watch. Like, in, he's happy. He's like, great. Not like, oh, why is he going to do that? Why does he have that? That is a result of a prosperous soul. A prosperous soul wants you to do good. A prosperous soul wants you to buy your first house. A prosperous soul wants you to be married to a godly man. A prosperous soul wants you to succeed in life. But someone who is bankrupt, they're jealous, they're envious. Why this? Why that? Why you? Like, have you ever asked, like, it, so... 
these are all internal issues. And the issue is, this is, this is what your life is going to look like. It's going to look like one of these cups. Now, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. So you can be, when we come to Christ, we're like, we're like this broken, shattered cup. And this was my life before Jesus. Like shattered and broken with no excuse and no reason why. It's all self-inflicted stupidity. And then God heals you. God brings restoration to you. And that's good. But the, the, the real God's intention, it doesn't stop here. It's not you die and go to heaven. But God's real intention is that. You see this broken cup, this can't contain what God wants to pour out. You try drinking from a broken cup, you'll swallow glass. That's like mob style dead. You can't, you don't, they'll feed you glass, you know, like that's another story. But so this is another thing. This is God's intention for you. To live in abundance and to live in overflow. Some people don't really believe that. We call them unbelieving believers. But this is God's intention. Now, in the scripture, the Bible speaks about the soul. This is in the King James. 498 times. The Bible speaks about the human, the heart. H-E-R-T in English. You find that word. 895 times. Mind, the word mind. This, this is just, you find the word mind 139 times. What does that mean? It means that Jesus puts an emphasis or Jesus cares most about the inside of the cup. What is the inside of the cup? Your inner life. The life that no one sees. The life inside of you that determines how you experience life and how people experience you. The essence of you, not the image of you. So we have image, which our culture is obsessed with image. So the cultural priority of image is body, soul, Spirit. The kingdom situation is spirit, soul, body. The complete opposite of the world. And the world is all fake. It's fake. There's filters, plastic surgery, breast jobs, steroids, fake eyebrows, fake, 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 fake. And all of the emphasis is on fake. In fact, we celebrate fake. God celebrates real. Now, here's the thing. God does care about the outside of your cup. He does. Which is your actions, your decisions, and all that stuff. But he cares mostly 
and primarily about the place where all that flows from. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows what? The issues of life. In other words, if you have issues in your life, where do they go to? Where are they rooted in? The heart. Where, does the, where is the first place the gospel goes to work? In the broken hearted. The, the first and primary work of the Spirit through the gospel is on the inside. Let me give you an example so you understand how new covenant this is. In the old covenant, you know, you commit adultery when you commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery. What, where is, where, what is he going after? He's not going after the outside of the cup. So he's not going after the cocaine or the, or the weed or, or the, the, the promiscuous lifestyle. He's going after why. Why? He's not, he's not impressed by public prayers. He goes, no, 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 no. Don't pray to be seen. He's not impressed with big offerings, although he watches the offering bucket. People like Jesus doesn't care about that. He watched it. And he made a comment on a, on a poor lady who gave everything. And that was more to him than a rich guy who tipped God. Amen. That's a whole other thing. So people are like, Jesus doesn't care about that. No, actually, he does care about that. But what he cares more about is the motive. The priority of it is the motive. Is it an expression of gratitude and generosity or is it a religious ritual? So he addresses praying to be seen, which is, which is the desire to be recognized by men. And then giving to be seen and say, oh, look how generous this person is, which is the wrong motive. Or fasting, the, the, the appearance of spirituality. Jesus said, don't do that. Wash your face. Spray your cologne. <laughs> don't. <laughs> like, like don't, don't, we don't need to know that. That's between you and God. And it says God sees in secret, God rewards in open, the Father's waiting in the secret place. So the priority of God is our private life, in our inner life, and what is going on with us. Really. So before I was a pastor, I traveled as an itinerant preacher. I would go to churches and I would ask people, how you doing? And they would say, business is good, church is good, this is good. And I said, man, I'm asking the wrong question. There, no one's giving me real answers. And so I started asking, how are your emotions? <laughs> I realized pastors didn't have a lot of friends. And so they would trust me because if they trust you in the pulpit, then they'll trust you privately. So I, then they start sharing, spilling the beans. I wasn't asking the right question. How are your emotions? And then I switch it to feelings. How are the feelings? We do a feelings check. And then you hear... The situation, which <laughs> there's quite a situation. Listen to Matthew 23. Jesus is going hard at the religious folks. The only people that Jesus goes hard after is religious people. He doesn't go hard after the prostitute, the tax collector, the zealots. He doesn't go hard after anyone except religious people that think they're better than other people. Those are the people that he goes after. And, and the word that he uses for them is hypocrisy, it's, which is like a mask that you put over your face at a screenplay, which I call it a Sunday smile. You don't have to do a Sunday smile here. 
If your life is broken beyond description, you can cry and weep and we'll hug you and love you because we know what that feels like. So that's okay. You don't have to pretend here. Okay, Matthew 23, 25 through 26. He's going hard at them. Watch this. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Okay. Don't, people are like, oh, I can't come back to church because I'm not right. That's exactly why you should come back to church because you're not right. <laughs> I can't take communion because I'm struggling with sin. You should repent of your sin and take communion because the victory is in the body and in the blood. It's not in you. Well, I don't want to tell anyone what I'm really going through. Shame will keep you stuck. I don't need anybody. You won't do anything. <laughs> so, so this is the priority of God is the inside of the cup, which is your soul. He said they're full uh, of dead man's bones. That's another thing he said to them. Which death to religious people is unclean. They can't touch that. So he's saying you are unclean where it matters the most and where it matters the least, you're, you, you, got, you, got, you, got, you got nice robe and the Sunday smile, but inside you are full of self-indulgence and, and uh, extortion, which means they had a problem with lust and greed and they abused power. If that is not the operation of a religious and a political spirit, I don't know what is. And that is what is full. America is full of that. Full of it. White church, black church, green church, yellow church, red church, any church, any language. This is the spirit of most of what is out there. Self-seeking and self-indulgence, not people that are saying, you know what? We need to deal with the inside of the cup. And you have to hear this in the spirit of what I'm saying. I am not pointing a finger and saying, we're the only real thing. I'm not even saying anything even like that. But I'm saying that this spirit will get a hold of you and will give you an, an antichrist priority system that will cause you to religiously pretend instead of let the gospel do heart transplant. God wants to do the hard and the deep and the painful internal work because that's where the joy and the abundance in your life will flow from, from within you. Jesus said, out of your innermost belly, in your gut, in your gut, rivers of living water will flow. Not from heaven falling down. No, no, no. From you. From you. You're supposed to be a fountain. Not just Jesus, you. When, when you go somewhere, the Holy Spirit should come with you. Not just, oh God, let fire fall, wind blow, glory. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We want that too. That's a metaphor for saying we want the Holy Spirit's presence. We want it in us. We want it upon us. But I also want it to flow from me. And whenever you really want, that's what you'll have more of. People always have more of what they really want. Ain't that something? 
We're going to go through some scriptures today. Let me go back to Psalm 19. My son read this if you were here before worship. Verse 7, it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The problem is not the law. The problem is people. <laughs> the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Watch this. Watch what comes from the converted soul or the, the soul that has returned to God, which is in New Covenant language, repented. The, 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 the soul that is turned back toward God. Look at this. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In other words, the testimony of the Lord will turn a fool into a wise man. The testimony of the Lord is transformational in nature. It'll change you deep within you so that your desires and your responses and how you perceive is completely transformed. It'll change your taste buds. It'll change your perception. It'll change what you think is attractive. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The soul needs to be converted. The soul needs moral absolutes to function correctly. Why is there so much mental illness? Because of a lack of moral clarity. Why are people over-medicated? Because of a lack of moral clarity. Do sometimes, if you have a chemical imbalance and you take some medicine, is that bad? No. But if everyone's first response is to get people pilled out and pilled up, that's a problem. And that is the reflexes of the institutions because that's how they profit. So they profit from your brokenness instead of wanting you to get whole. And then someone wants you to get whole and you're mad at him. <laughs> Why can't I say that? <laughs> the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord shows me I am not The law teaches me I need a savior. The law makes me pure in spirit. Because I say, whoa, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not going to mouth off to the judge. <laughs> I'm going to be nice. Sorry, judge. <laughs> you know, like, not like, yo, man, what up? Like, no, 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 don't take that ghetto stuff somewhere else. Not with the judge. And if it's a lady judge, you're definitely going to jail. So that's another, that's another story. But anyway, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. So now the converted soul participates with the word and produces a testimony that is transformational in nature. So when, the, when your soul is convinced that God's way is the way, then you participate with what you're convinced about. If people are not convinced, they won't participate. All right. Now, this is fascinating. Look at this. <clears throat> Psalm 23, you know this very well. He restores my soul. Okay. 
this is interesting because you're going to see in Peter that he does it. In, excuse me, Psalm 23, it's him doing it. And then in 1 Peter, it's you doing it. And so what is it? Both. <laughs> Both. It's not... Okay, we don't work for salvation, but we work out our salvation. We work from salvation, and we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, which means you need to take Jesus seriously. Like, seriously, because he takes you seriously. He gave his life for you, so he doesn't say, oh, whatever, you know, they're no good, so forget them. No, he's like, they're no good, so I want them great. It's like, it's like, he goes to the car lot. He's like, where's the lemon? <laughs> I'll take all those guys. You know, like, that's just Jesus, you know. He restores my soul. So, hold on. Let's just talk about, well, what is this soul? It's not a little ghost, you know, flying around. The soul is your humanity. It is your mind, your will, and your emotions. If any one of those are damaged, you will not process reality correctly and you will not respond correctly and you will probably misuse your body and do things that are very destructive to yourself because self-hatred leads to self-destructive behavior. That's a whole other story. He restores. Now, do you know the word restores? This is why English is... That's the same word for converted. Psalm 97 is the same Hebrew word. God says things so differently because he's trying to convey... The translators, they're trying to convey the totality and the fullness of the purposes of God. And one word is not adequate to give you a picture of something that you would desire enough to live toward it. Right? For example, let's just say you're online and you're shopping online. You have to see the picture of it. You got to get the vision of it before you'll squeeze and, and, and buy it. You got it. This is the same thing. You have to get a vision of what God is wanting to do in you, what God is wanting to do through you, or you won't buy into the vision. You'll buy into Satan's vision. Satan goes, just stay the way you are. You're good. I accept you. You're accepted. Just, just right the way you are. You go to hell just right the way you are. God says, no, 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 no. I love you enough not to leave you where you are. That's real love. You know how easy it is to just say, you're done. Give up. Bye-bye. Adios. Cut your losses. But God says, no. I gave everything for you. I'm committed to you. So let's work this thing out. So he restores. How does he restore my soul? This is what we got to hear. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of what? Uh-oh. We don't like that. We don't like righteousness. We talk about peace and joy. We don't like righteousness. We do not like righteousness. As a culture, we're like, my truth, what I feel, I don't... Listen, can I tell you something? That's not real. Many things you feel are not even real. 
Many things that you feel are projected temptations on your broken soul from the enemy to distract you and to, to sideswipe you and to abort the purposes of God in your life. So not everything that comes into here is real. So you have to renew your mind and guard your heart so you know what's going on. Now, is this real? Or this is, this is the enemy? This is why you got to get in the word of God and you got to get the word of God in you so when a thought flies through your mind, you can say, nope, you're getting captivated, you're getting smashed, body slammed, and you are getting made obedient to Jesus. I don't care how I feel. You know an old school virtue? It's called diligence. Can I tell you about diligence? I don't have to feel like it to do it. This, well, you know, I wasn't feeling it. Oh, you weren't feeling it. Oh, that's wonderful. So that means that your life is based on your feelings. Oh, that, that's a real key to be successful. Yeah, all the successful people are doing it. This is why, this is why, no, no, this is why undisciplined creatives are broke. Because they have a potential for greatness, but they don't have discipline. When you find a disciplined creative, they're very rich, usually. Discipline is the thing that realizes human potential. Discipline will get the worst out of you and the best from you. And it's God's moral obligation as a father. David goes on to say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, the discipline of God, I find comfort in. If you want to last, if you want to run the race, if you want to have endurance, if you want to have perseverance, if you want to have longevity, if you want to leave a legacy, well, guess what? You're going to have to come under the healing touch of the master and you're going to have to let him squeeze you and press you and heal you so oil can flow from you. No crushing, no oil. That's why you can listen to, that's why people, 10,000 people can sit in a room and listen to someone who's blah, 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 and no transformation because there's no oil. There's a performance. No crushing, no oil. You can't tell me that there's oil without crushing. You don't get diamonds without pressure. You don't get pure gold without fire. You don't get pearls without isolation and irritation and something rubbing you the wrong way consistently. That's how pearls come. So, so you, you don't get value if you're not going to pay a price. Jesus paid his price, but you have to pay your price. And you don't buy your salvation, but you partner with God in your salvation. He restores my soul. He leads me. Not, not I lead me. Not, it's my life, I do what I want. No, 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 no. If you're a Christian, no. If you're, if you're the world, okay. Let me know how that works out for you. I tried, it didn't work out. He leads me in the path of righteousness. So he leads me to do what is right. And the, also the word righteousness is the word justice. So it cannot be righteous before God if it's unjust before man. So a business deal in the kingdom doesn't mean I win and you lose. It means we both win. If both people don't win, it's not kingdom. 
So he leads me in the paths of righteousness and justice. Why? Because that is the foundation of his throne. That is, that is, that is the environment that God sits on and feels comfortable in. Righteousness and justice. So that means righteousness before God, which is imputed but also participated with. Romans speaks of imputed righteousness, but Matthew speaks of righteousness as an action. In fact, the lamb, and the, which, is the, which is the lamb's wife, which is the bride of Christ, she is clothed, she's cleansed by his blood, but she is clothed by her righteous acts. Not good intentions and not good feelings and not amazing songs and a great environment and a nice vibe. Her righteous acts, what does she do? My wife doesn't show me, oh, I love you. She showed me that she loves me when I came home in my office and all of my sneakers were put in new cases that they bought for me and they made them yesterday. That's what I came home to. Actions, not words. Words don't cost you anything. That's what I came home to yesterday. I said, what did they do? They took all my sneakers, organized them, and put them in boxes. Now, they, 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 we need more boxes. But the righteous acts, the, the bride is clothed in righteous acts, not good intentions. That's another story. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. So sin breaks the soul. Sin damages the soul. Sin does not allow me to, to relate to myself correctly. You cannot even have a healthy relationship with yourself if you're living in perpetual sin. How do I know? I tried it. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, it doesn't work out. Uh, and, and you go from, listen, this is true. You, you go from your own worst enemy to your own best friend. I, I say when it's day off, I go, I'm spending time with my best friend. I have a great old time on myself because I don't hate myself. Some people cannot be left alone, can't be quiet, always have to do something because they're stuck with themselves and they're not happy with who they are. But the more you know him, the more he changes who you are, the more you feel comfortable in your own skin, even if it has some stretch marks. <laughs> He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of, his, of righteousness. So part of the restoration comes through doing what is right, which means no matter how much I preach, no matter how much we sing, no matter how much you cry, if you are not willing to do what is right, things will not be made right. Anyone who tells you otherwise is not being honest with you. The restoration comes not only through rest, which is, that's true, but it comes through doing what is right. In other words, you set your heart on doing what is right, no matter how you feel. Sticking to it. Okay. And he does this. For your Instagram account. He does this for your net worth. He does this for your portfolio. He does this for your watch collection. 
He does this for what? For his name's sake. Not your name. Not my name. His name's sake. That's why he does it. Because it's in his name that men are saved. It's in his name that the sick are healed. It's in his name that the dead come to life. It's in his name that the lost come home. It's in his name is the name that is above every name that one day every knee will bow to that name. So he restores your soul and he leads you the right way for his name. Can I tell you the fastest way to get blessed? I tell you this, you don't believe me. The fastest way to get blessed is to participate with his name. What, what is it? You know the only thing that God has committed to build is his church? I'm not saying rescue church. I'm saying his church. His church. His church. That means that th those who are allowing him to lead them, those who acknowledge they need him to be the leader, that is the only thing that he has committed his resources, his power, his infinite wisdom to that. So... You know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but here's what I do know. If you want to get blessed, then you got to get in line. Okay. This is Peter now. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Uh-oh. Not my truth. This is my truth. There's no such thing as your truth. It doesn't exist. There is the truth. It's either the truth or it's not the truth. It's not a truth, my truth. I mean, this is the culture that we live in. And, you know, him, 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 she, they. Uh, well, wait a minute. That ain't working out for you. Her, him, she, they. No, 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 that's not going to help you. Obeying equals purifying. Anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Did you know that hope was a purifier? If you have hope in your life, naturally, you will want to live pure before the Lord. Which leads to confession. It leads to forgiveness. It leads to saying, you know what? I made a mistake. God, forgive me. Not wiggling out of it, you know, my trauma, blah, 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 my upbringing, my blah, blah, blah. You know what? You eventually have to forgive and get over it or you'll be stuck from it. And I'm not minimizing the pain or the abuse or the dysfunction, but if you're not willing to forgive, you're not willing to go free. There's no other way. Since you have purified your souls, who? What does it say? Does it say God does that? I'm sorry. That's not what it says. I know that we want God to do our part. That's why we pray. <laughs> Most people's prayer is trying to convince God to either do what they want or what he told them to do. Since you have purified your souls in obeying. You know what obeying means? Keep doing it. Well, you don't know how I feel. 
Well, Pastor, I had a hard week. Well, we all had a hard week. Welcome to planet Earth. Do what's right anyway. That's old school. I was raised like this. It, it doesn't matter how you feel. I, I can't remember one time in two in the morning when I heard my wife go, uh, and I don't, I don't know about this. All these men that get up and change diapers and stuff, you guys are great people. I had a wife that wasn't like that. She's old school. You know what old school means? Old school. Like, that's a baby that she had that baby. She take care of that baby. That's old school. Now you got men feeding everyone. I, I mean, God bless you guys. You're, you're amazing. I was not that amazing. I tell you that for sure. But I never once heard my wife say, 2.30 in the morning, honey, do you know that I feel like changing diapers right now? I mean, I really feel it. Oh, yeah, I feel it. No, I've, I've never seen. The maternal instinct immediately pops up. Immediately. That's why when I hear guys doing that, I'm going, wow, interesting. How she got? <laughs> the maternal instinct in her wakes up. It's like the grizzly bear. The, you touch the kids, the grizzly bear is going to kill you. The, ki the, the grizzly is going to come out. Sarah put her teacher voice on and scare everybody. <laughs> the maternal instincts come out. You have your part in God's will. God will not do your part. You cannot do his part. And God bless all the guys that change diapers and feed babies. You guys are amazing. When I first had kids, I go, man, I'm really selfish. And my wife's selflessness exposed me <laughs> without ever saying you're selfish once without ever saying one negative word to me. I don't recall her ever saying one negative, discouraging thing to me. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Why? Because that's not in her. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through, how did, who? Ah, the Spirit. So we don't just need him to speak in tongues and shake on the floor. Bless you. So, we don't just need the Holy Spirit for a mission trip and then put him back, you know, put him back for, you know, eight months. No, 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 no. I need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, some of us will catch a case. <laughs> Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. You know what that means? That means that I cannot do it in my own strength. And guess what? That is liberating because the strength of it is him. But, here's the but. Big old but. <laughs> Big old but. But, it requires me to participate and look how it gets proven. Oh, where are we going to prove this? Where is this going to, uh-oh. Through the Spirit in. Uh-oh. Here it comes. I don't need nobody. When it's just me and Jesus, we're getting along great. Throw some other people in the mix. <laughs> it all starts changing. The breathing changes. <laughs> Everything. Since you have, come on, stick with me. We're almost done. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. 
in, here it comes, here's how it gets, it gets expressed, tested, purified, in sincere love of the brethren. So when you are purified, guess what it produces? Even I can see that. <laughs> Sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Did you see a few weeks ago, Brett? I thought he was jumped through the woof. When, when, when he heard that Tina and, and DK were pregnant, that DK impregnated Tina, <laughs> he almost jumped through the roof. Cat's child was like, like, it felt like an earthquake in this double-wide storefront hood church that I love and I'm thankful for. But that's love. That's sincere love with not an ounce of fakeness in it. Not an ounce. Like, no, there's nothing fake. It may be crazy, but there's nothing fake. When he heard that, he celebrated her with fervent love. I don't think I could have jumped like that if you gave me a million dollars. I mean, I would have jumped and stuff, but not like that. That was like, he was absolutely overtaken with joy for someone else. And that is sincerity and pure love. That's fervent love. That's like, man, I want to see you do good. I, I, if, if you wanted to see me do good, like I want to see you do good, we'd never fight. You never have any jealousy. There's no insecurity. You, you're you, I'm me. I want you to win. You want me to win. We help each other win in Jesus' name. There's no, why is this? Why that? Why that? No, no, no. We're ha I want you to do well. That's called sincere love. And it all happens through obeying. The strength and how we are able to obey is through the spirit, not through the flesh, not in Adam's strength, not in Emilio's strength, but through the spirit. What spirit? The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit that took Jesus out of the grave. The, the spirit that empowered Jesus to live a life that is completely pleasing to the Father, even if it would cost his own life. So there is no excuse, just so you know, in God. There's no excuses. When you stand before God, no excuse will be valid. I'm warning you now. I'm just saying that to you so that you can at least go, well, at least someone told me. Because we are living in a culture that perpetuates victimhood and excuses. But not with God and not with children. Children don't accept excuses. Because they haven't been yet conditioned to accept lies as truth. You have to condition them. Many parents condition their children to embrace lies. That's another story. We'll get out of there. Jesus says this. Here's the good news. We always have good news. 
Now, Jesus, just so you know, he's just giving woes to unrepentant cities. Woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum, Tyre. I mean, he, he said, woe to you. And he says this. This is how crazy what he's saying is. He says, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because Sodom and Gomorrah was torched from heaven and it's over. Done. But Rome is going to come and Rome is going to bleed you out slow. Read it. He's not talking about the final day of judgment. If you think that, God bless you, but you're wrong. <laughs> He's talking about the Romans are coming and it's not going to be fire from heaven. You're done. It's not going to be a bullet in the head. It's not going to be quick. It's going to be a slow aggressive, vicious, bloody bleed out. The historian Josephus wrote that there was rivers of blood in the city of Jerusalem. Read it. Go ahead, read it. Rivers of blood. That, what, that is what happened because they rejected not only the Messiah, but the Messiah's way of doing things. Jesus came to an oppressed persecuted minority and told them no violence but they wanted violence because they were convinced that that was the way but that wasn't the way that was the old way but that wasn't the new way if you talk to an oppressed minority if anyone has a justification for violence it's them they didn't want to hear what he his prophetic message the prophetic message is always against what we want to hear. It never validates our anger and our desire for blood. Jesus always addresses that. So this is hard to hear. Imagine if you're under Roman occupation, but Jesus doesn't want to deal with the Roman occupation because the problem is not the Roman occupation. The problem is why they are occupied by Rome. They are occupied because of their rebellion and idolatry. Because you had God's people trying to do God's kingdom their way. And, and that is what we don't want, that type of mentality or that type of spirit. So he says this in verse 25 of Matthew 11. He says, At the time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All of you who are carrying a load you weren't meant to carry or bear. What is the load? It's a heavy load. It's one of anxiety. It's one of fear. It's one of worry. It's one of worry about the future. It's, it's, it's depression. It's, it's all of the things that steal your joy and your peace and cause you to live in ways that are not righteous before God, that are not just toward men, and that will damage your own humanity. He wants to set us free of all of that. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. He doesn't say a vacation will give you rest. He doesn't say materialism will give you rest. He doesn't say the refrigerator is going to give you rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Did you know rest is a gift? Do you know Sabbath is us anxiously, or, or no, not anxiously, it's us faithfully engaging in the age to come? Sabbath is when you step into the rest of God. When the work that Jesus finished on the cross is fully finished, there's a new heavens and a new earth with a new body in incorruptible physicality, no more sadness, no more death, and no more tears. Sabbath is meant for us to press pause and step into the moment of eternal rest to refuel and relieve and refresh our souls so when we get back in the ring, we're fresh. Because the fight is coming. The fight is coming. Even right now, there's a battle raging for the attention, for the affections, for our afternoon. For There's always a battle, always a battle, and God wants you to be refreshed so that you can fight the battle from faith and from rest. Take my yoke upon you. So he has a yoke, <laughs> but it's his yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Did you see that again? It's twice. He's addressing an issue. The restless soul is the soul that will reach for other things that are damaging to it. For I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In, in the ancient world, what they would do is they would yoke two oxen. One is an old oxen, and the other is a young oxen. Let me tell you about a young oxen. A young oxen is stupid. He's excited. He's going to just go for it. He's going to just get after it. It's all about him. and He can take on the world, and he can change everything. And the old oxen is like, bro, you're dumb. Hold up, bro. We're going to be in the sun for 12 hours. So we're not going to be running. We're just going to be moving. So the older oxen is the oxen that determines the pace. Grace has a pace. Grace works from rest, not for rest. Grace ministers from approval not for approval. Grace is free of anxiety. Grace means you may not go faster, but you'll go longer. You don't have to be in a rush. Being in a rush is based on fear. It's based on lack. It's based on worry. But you can allow God in Christ to be the one who determines your pace. Here's some things the soul needs. The soul needs moral absolutes. The soul needs Jesus. <laughs> the soul needs patience. Jesus says this, in patience you possess your soul. 
which means that you don't have rule over your own mind, will, and emotions without patience. What does that mean? It means that cognitively your mind needs patience to function optimally. It means that your emotions need patience to function optimally. Your, your will, your desire to do, patience is cheerful endurance. It's not sitting there and doing nothing. That's called lazy. <laughs> your soul needs hope. Hope is the anchor of your soul, which means that your soul cannot function correctly, cannot process things properly without hope, which is why the enemy works so hard to get us to feel hopeless because if we feel hopeless, we will destroy ourselves. We will self-destruct. And the enemy doesn't have to mess with you because you are messing with you. This is very important. In one season, hope is an anchor of your soul. And so an anchor in, in calm waters, an anchor is dropped so that the boat can remain where it is. You see this when you go to the Caribbean and you go to certain islands, you see all boats offshore and they're kind of just camping out there. Generally speaking, they let the anchor down and they camp out there and they chill. So do you know hope lets you chill? Hopeless people who are restless can't chill. Hope in a storm, how does it, what, what happens with an anchor? In a storm, you take the anchor and you throw the anchor into the water so that as you pass through the, the, the stormy weather and the rough waters, the anchor keeps the boat from tipping over, but the wind and the waves keep it moving through the storm. So did you know hope gives you the ability to keep it moving? And sometimes that is really what you need to do with certain situations, certain people. You just need to keep it moving. In other words, if you want to fight, you're not fighting with me. If you want to have strife, you're not going to have strife with me. If you want to do self-destructive stuff, I'm not going to participate in that. Sometimes you have to cut your ties and say, I will not participate. Throw your anchor down and move through the storm. Just move through it. Just move through it because... If, but here's the thing, if you don't throw your anchor down, guess what's happening to your boat? <laughs> Have you ever seen a boat flip upside down? That's what'll happen to your life without hope. You'll be underwater. And that's not God's plan for his people. We should be the most hope-filled people on earth. If I die, I want it to be a hope overdose. It's like I'm dead with a smile. Okay, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus wants you to come to him. It's going to get too simple, I'm sorry. He wants you to perpetually, boldly approach the throne of grace to find grace and mercy. That's what he wants to give you, not judgment, not criticism, discipline and mercy. If you didn't need mercy, you wouldn't need discipline. Did you know that mercy, many times discipline and warning, is an expression of the mercy of God? He wants you to come to him. Number two, 
Jesus wants to convert and restore your soul for his name's sake. Jesus wants you to obey him, and as you do together with his help, through the Spirit, you are purifying your soul through intentional obedience. Obedience is always intentional. Disobedience is always unintentional. What I want, what I feel, what I like, which is this, the eye of idolatry and the eye of iniquity. They both start with I. Will you give Jesus what he wants? I, I know that we pray, we want stuff, I want stuff, I got the list. Jesus, I need this and that and that, blah, blah. I know, but here is the question. Will you give Jesus what he wants? You know what he wants? You, 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 even me. <laughs> Will you give Jesus what he wants? This is a yes or a no. <laughs> it's like any other, anything other than a yes is a no. And to be undecided is to decide. <laughs> there is no substitute for obedience. No, no matter what anyone tells you, there is no substitute for obedience, for faithfulness, for diligence. Those are all virtues where we acknowledge that God has loved us and then we choose to love him back and we choose to live lives that are grateful because of his great love for us this is how we respond to him. So everything I'm saying today, there's, the end of the message is how you choose to live your life. The end of the message is how I choose to live my life. More than anything in this season, what we feel is the priority of God is God making things right on the inside. David, after his most grievous, one of his most, many of his grievous sins, but after one of his most grievous situations, do you know that, let me say this with David. David traded what he wanted now for what he wanted most. The most, the thing that David wanted more than anything is to build God a temple, a house. But since he was looking at that woman, in her house, he couldn't build God's house. So he traded what he wanted now for what he wanted most, and then he couldn't get what he wanted most because he had bloody hands. Don't trade what you want now for what you want most. Hold out. The whole story would have been written differently if he would have not embraced what he wanted now for what he wanted most. Don't trade... I'm going to say this again. Don't trade what you want now for what you want most. I said don't trade what you want now for what you want most. Hang on. Don't let loneliness lead you astray. Don't let singleness lead you to the wrong relationship. Don't allow a disappointment to make you become 
hopeless. Don't trade what you want now for what you want most. That's where patience comes in. That's where self-control comes in. This is how you process that. Let's say he's out on his, his castle, you know, he's on his balcony. And he goes, dang, Father, help me, Jesus. All he had to do is go, Jesus, help me. And there is a way of escape. There is a way of escape. But no, he traded what he wanted now for what he wanted most. Esau did that. Let me know how that worked out for him. It says that he sought repentance with tears and didn't find it. Repentance is a, is a gift. If you find it, you better hold on to it. Or else you can lose your marbles. That's what happens to people. Oh yeah, the conscience can become seared. You can, you, can, you can hear the truth so much that you become immune to it and you do nothing about it. Versus the guy that hears it in Saudi Arabia or the woman that hears it in Iran one time and they'll die for it. While we choose to be victims our whole life and do nothing with the gospel. It's not healthy. It's not right. Jesus deserves more than that. So David, in his most grievous time, his grievous time, one of his most grievous times, I got to keep saying that. He had a few times, you know, which, which is reassuring for some of us, you know. He, he's going, he goes through this crazy time, and instead of hiding, he writes a song about it. And one of the things that he said is that you desire truth in the inward parts. If truth is within you, you will navigate your affairs differently and you won't have affairs. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, but, but, but truth brings freedom. But before truth brings freedom, truth stings. Truth stings. You can't tell me it's the truth if it doesn't sting. That's the nature of of an antiseptic. If it cleanses, it stings. But before you can put your little neosporin on your boo-boo and God can restore your life, well, we got to clean it out. And that's what God wants to do. And he wants you to participate with him. And there is no substitute for obedience. Which, what does that mean? That means the ball is in your court. That means that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You know that many people think drawing near to God is just sitting there turning worship music on and then living the same. Drawing near to God is, no, you know that this is not righteous. Don't do that. No, you know that this is unrighteous. Don't say that. No, it's not just praying or singing or Bible reading. It's actually doing what we know to do. If the, if the guys who follow Jesus didn't do what God had revealed, we wouldn't be reading their writings because they would be nobody. Because who can tell you about something that they didn't do? So if we don't live it, what does our witness look like to the world? It looks disingenuous. It doesn't look real. It looks fake. But if we live it, then they go, okay, man, there's something different here. There's something different with this, this person, this family. Man, now I can seek refuge 
in this place or with these people or in this family or with this church because there's something solid about them because we've allowed the Lord to heal the little broken cup. And then he's cleaned the cup and then he starts pouring into the cup until the cup overflows. And that is his, his, his design is overflow. Abundance, prosperity of soul, which we're going we're gonna to cast that vision soon. So, Lord, we come before you today, and we thank you that Pastor finished at 12.04, Lord. <laughs> we come before you today, Father, and we genuinely need your help, but we also expect your help. In other words... Through the Holy Spirit, we can obey the Holy Scriptures. Christ can be formed in us. We can be transformed. We can put on Jesus. We can wear his fragrance. We can become little icons of Jesus so that when we get pressed, he comes out. We can live the abundant life because you have provided for us so richly and so generously. So Lord, we ask you, that we would be living epistles, read of all men. And so when people come into contact with us, they come into contact with you. And we would be sons and daughters who are ambassadors of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.